Good morning. Week number two, talking about love. Before I do that, I just have been asked to make a, a couple of announcements. Our carol sing that's happening this Saturday at 6 p.m. Uh, the weekend email that went out says 7 p.m. It's, it's still at 6 p.m. Uh, that carol sing is pretty much full now of people who are registered. We can only have 100 people maximum at an outdoor event. So if you have registered, if you have registered and you do not think you can go, could you unregister yourself so that we could make spaces for other people who are planning on being a part of that? So we're excited for that, looking forward to it, and it will be a, a lovely evening. Also, if you're a parent with children, we want to encourage you to engage with our, our new Facebook group that has been created. Our children's director, Chris, has created a Facebook page book group for parents to interact with one another with the videos that she's putting out and you can find those at um, our Facebook page at NL Collingwood and go on there select groups and you can uh, ask to be uh, invited or asked to join that group and whoever's administrating that will be taking care of that and following that up with you so that's just a couple of announcements so this week for Advent week number two, we just saw a video that um, is telling us about the love of God. And I want to tell you this morning that God does not love us. And you're thinking, that's a mistake, right? I misheard what you just said. God does not love us. Sometimes it feels like God does not love us. For the things that we're experiencing in life, difficulties, um, tragedies, different scenarios, there are times in our life when we feel like God does not love me. If God was really full of love, he would be doing something about the situation that I find myself in. So there are times when it feels like God does not love us. And I would actually make the case for a lot of the language that we use around love uh, in our kind of in our world today, when we talk about love, the ideas that are put forth around love are things that are very um, a very romanticized only kind of love. Uh, it's a, it's a love that um, focuses on on the physical, or it's a love that's very conditional. The kind of love that I I can extend love to the people who are close to me that I value that that I sense that love me back. But the love kind of stops there, and it, and it fails to go beyond the other, even to uh, those that might be opposed to us. So when it comes to that kind of definition of love, then I would say, yeah, God does not love us, because that does not capture the kind of love that we see in God when he's revealed to us in the person of Jesus. And so this week in our Advent focus, uh, we're looking at the prophets and what the prophets have to say about who God is, how the prophets lead us to Jesus. And this week we're going to look at Jeremiah 31, and we are going to look at this whole idea that, that it's not that God doesn't love us, it's that God does indeed love us. And what I want to do this morning is unpack that a little bit for us, and you might be thinking, okay, we're here at church and they're talking about love again. 
And I've got to confess, I'm not sure that we can ever talk enough about the love of God. Because there is always a richness and a depth and a breadth to it that will bring new learning experiences for us. So we want to talk about the love of God today, and I want to focus in on one particular verse, especially in the prophet Jeremiah. The prophet Jeremiah was writing to a group of people that were living in exile. They were under oppression from another um, cultural people group. They were um, deported. They were, many of them, imprisoned. And it, was, it wasn't just a couple of years. It was a long-haul deportation, exile experience. And in the midst of all of their difficulty, their pain, in feeling like God had abandoned them, in feeling like God did not love them, the prophet Jeremiah, um, challenging them in their unfaithfulness, challenging them on their lifestyles, also says, listen, you need to understand something about God. And this is the one verse that he refers to. He's um, God speaking here through Jeremiah. I have loved you, my people, with an everlasting love. With unfailing love, I have drawn you to myself. I have loved you with an everlasting love. And with unfailing love, I have drawn you to myself. This is the kind of love that I want to talk about this morning. And look at a couple aspects of it. And just remind us yet again of the kind of love that God has for humanity. Because it's much more than the kind of love that we generally think of when we hear this word thrown around um, in our culture and in our society. So the first thing I would say is that it's a, God, it's a love that lasts. God says, I've, I've called you, um, I've loved you with an everlasting love. It's a kind of love that lasts because it sources itself in God. And God is not only loving, God is love. I want to tell you about a conversation I had not long ago uh, during a car ride with a person. And they were sitting beside me and, and they just said, why are we even here? What is the point to all of this? We're born... We live, most people don't even know who we are. Even famous people are only famous for a short while and then they're forgotten. So we, we're born, we live, and we die, and that's it. What's the point to all this? Why do we even exist? And I thought about that for a moment, and I, and I just responded with this. We exist because of love. You exist because of the love between, uh, between a man and a woman. And now you're kind of feeling like, that's kind of gross, Paul. You exist because of the love that existed between a man and a woman, and it resulted in you. You are the product of love. And some of you might be thinking, that's not true for me. Because of things like rape or other situations like that. And even in those cases where I would say this is not supposed to happen, this is not right, and yet that is still pointing to what the ideal is. That when two people love each other, when a, husband, uh, a man and a woman love each other, the result of that expression often is life. 
And actually, you can take that back to the very existence of humanity. I've regularly been asked, why did God create us? God created us because God is love, and love creates. Love expresses itself. Love flows. Love gives. It creates life. We exist so that we can experience the love of God in relationship. And for some, that might be different than what you've heard a lot of. We exist to give glory to God. Yes, but I think more fundamentally than that, we exist because God wants us to experience him and his love, his presence. Love creates, it lasts. Jeremiah is saying it's an everlasting love. And it finishes. Love doesn't just create things, it finishes its full intent when it's applied to God. Now this is where it gets kind of fun. I want to introduce you to another new word for some of you. And it's the fact of of unfailing steadfast love. This word here, I won't even put the Hebrew down. I don't know Hebrew like I know Greek. This word hesed is a very rich uh, word that is used of God and his love. And, it, and it's, it's very complicated and, and rich with meaning so that to, to try to translate it into a single word is extremely difficult. Because to translate it as simply love doesn't actually convey the, the full richness of this word. So often translators will use like a word like unfailing love, which is the translation we uh, just read this morning. Or they might talk about steadfast love or God's loving kindness. Sometimes you'll see loyalty being used in reference to this word. And, and for a lot of us, if you're familiar with the term agape, this is the, the Greek form of this concept of, of a Hebrew term in hesed. And the Hebrew term is so rich in meaning. And I love the fact that translators have a hard time trying to interpret and translate it so that we capture it in in a succinct kind of way. And that said of God is a love that is amazingly attractive for people. And we'll touch on this in a moment. When God says, I have drawn you to myself, that's God's said. When we begin to understand who God is, for, for a lot of people, the concept of God that they've received is, a, is something that's repelling. Where a lot of people say, if that's what God is like, I want nothing to do with God. So when I meet people sometimes that say, I don't believe in God, the first thing I want to do is ask them, well, which God don't you believe in? And then have them describe their concept of who God is. And then we can have a conversation about how God reveals himself in Jesus and compare and contrast the differences that are there. Let's look at a couple of verses that kind of unpack this for us a bit. Deuteronomy 7, 9. So God is talking uh, to Moses and the nation of Israel. And it's actually a chapter that's quite stern in, in its outlook, what it's saying. But in the midst of it, God says this to Israel. Just before this, he has said to them, I didn't choose you because you were the, the most powerful or the best looking or the most wonderful people. I, I simply chose you. And then he says this, Understand, therefore, that the Lord your God is indeed God. 
He is the faithful God, you pick up on that faithfulness bit, who keeps his covenant for a thousand generations. We're going to touch on that word covenant in a moment too. And he lavishes his unfailing love or his steadfast love or his loving kindness on those who love him and obey his commands. And then the psalmist David, King David, who wrote all kinds of songs about God in Psalm 36, um, repeatedly talks about the steadfast love of God and how precious it is that all people can take refuge in the shadow of God's wings. And so these are a few verses when Moses says to God, show me your glory, God. So in Exodus 34, um, God says, okay, I'll show you who I am. And he puts Moses in this cleft in the rock and he puts his hand and he passes by and God proclaims his name to, to Moses, the name of Yahweh. And then he says, I'm a God with unfailing love, slow to anger. And in a way, it's this correction of who God is. There's something interesting about Jeremiah. Jeremiah is a prophet. Um, He said a lot of things to his own people. He was an in-house kind of uh, prophetic voice critiquing his own people. And it didn't always go well for him. And so he received a lot of persecution from his own people by what he was saying about them and the way he was challenging them. And he was very influenced by another Hebrew prophet who was a little bit before him, a guy named Hosea. And this is where sometimes you read the Bible and you're like, really? That's in the Bible. And so let me give you a brief synopsis of the story of Hosea. God says to Hosea, this prophet, I want you to marry that prostitute. And she's going to be unfaithful to you. And I want you to stay faithful to her and and to love her. And you are going to live out a representation of the covenant relationship I have with Israel. They are the unfaithful partner, and I'm going to stay faithful to them. And, and I encourage you, read the prophet Hosea. It's 14 chapters. It won't take you that long. It's an interesting story. And Hosea is living out what has said looks like faithfulness, loving kindness, loyalty, unfailing love. And so God is using this man to actually enact a, a prophecy rather than just speaking it for the, for the nation of Israel. And it's a fascinating story, and he has several children with her, and he has some wonderful names, Lo Ruhamah, Lo Ami, like nobody names their children that these days. I'm not sure why. But it's this wonderful depiction about what chesed looks like how it works. Jump to the New Testament. Jesus tells a story to help us understand chesed, God's unfailing love. And it's a story of a hopeful father. It's a story about about a son who says to his dad, I no longer love you, but I want what's mine, so give me what's mine. And he leaves. And his father for whatever reason, obliges and gives him his inheritance. And the son leaves. Many of you are familiar with the story. And he squanders it. He blows it all on crazy living. Ends up poor uh, so that he's eating animal feed. And eventually says, you know what? Dad's got people that work for him that actually have a roof over their head and food to eat. I'm going to go back and see if dad will at least let me be one of the hired hands. And he rehearses 
he rehearses his script. You can, you can play this out, right? So he's going home. Um, any of you who are teenagers understand this on the way home to try to explain to your parents why you did what you did. And so he's rehearsing, okay, Dad, like, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done this. I'm really not worthy to be called your son. Could you at least let me, you know, live with the hired hands? And he's expecting judgment from his father. He's expecting to be shamed. He's expecting punishment. And as he gets close to home, what he finds is a father who's been watching and waiting And instead of the son being shamed, the father shames himself by running, hiking up his his, uh, tunic or or robe so that he could run. And elderly people, uh, established people, don't run in that culture. You don't show your legs. The father completely shames himself, wraps his arms around his son, and throws a party to celebrate. That's chesed. That's what that looks like. And as you read through this one verse in Jeremiah 31.3, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you to myself with unfailing love. That's the story Jesus captures in Luke 15. Sometimes it's called the prodigal son story. I think a better title for that is the hopeful father. Because it paints a picture for us of how God sees us, how God operates with us in this world. And as you think about this verse in Jeremiah 31, here's the sum of it all. God loves you. So enjoy it. God loves you. And we have a wonderful opportunity to simply enjoy that love. Because it's a love that is founded in covenant relationship. I want to read these verses that you read earlier for us and just go through these again. I've kind of shortened them up and um, a little bit. Jeremiah 31, 31 to 34. God is saying to Jeremiah, listen, the time is coming when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah, and I will put my instructions deep within them. In between where the three dots are, he's saying it's not going to be like the covenant that exists now because Israel is unfaithful. And in verse 32, God actually says, even though Israel's been unfaithful, I still love Israel like like a husband loves his wife. And then he says, I will put my instructions deep within, within them, and I will write them on their hearts. So you see, this isn't about something external. This is about something happening. It's, it's not about just merely being people of a book. It's about being people who are in relationship with God and their hearts are changed. I will be their God. They will be my people. This is about relationship. And everyone from the least to the greatest will know me. And there's that word knowing again, not just knowing God intellectually, but knowing him relationally, experientially. And yet, the whole book of Jeremiah is about broken covenant, about people's uh, broken covenant with God. And earlier I said, hesed is, is a love that finishes, it's a love that reconciles. See, throughout the scriptures, humanity is reconciled to God. You never read about God being reconciled to humanity. 
It is always humanity that turns away. God stays faithful, like the story that we see in Hosea, like the father in Luke 15 that is hopeful and watching and waiting for his loved one to turn back. But relationship often breaks down. There's a, a woman named Bell Hooks. That's her pen name. I, I can't remember her, her actual name. Um, and she's written a lot in, in recent decades, and, and some of them quite provocative. Um, she's written a book uh, recently called um, All About Love, and, and this is what she says. When we face pain in relationships, our first response is often to sever bonds rather than to maintain commitment. So usually when there's pain in a relationship, when somebody has done something wrong, the initial reaction is break it off and run. Get out of there. And what we're reading in Jeremiah this morning is simply this. God does not sever bonds with us. God's love lasts. God has an everlasting love for us. It finishes what God intended for the result of it to be. And so rather than breaking bonds, God actually renews his commitment to humanity. And he just stays turned towards us in love. There's a guy named Andrew Farley. He's written quite a few books. One of the books he's written is called Twisted Scripture. And it's about uh, misconceptions people have, things that they thought the Bible said, but it doesn't actually say that. And I think he does about 40 or 45 of these. But in, in this book, in one part, he asked this question, what if, what if when we talked about love that we started with asking God to show us how much he loves us rather than trying to say that we need to love others? And so today is not about you need to love people more. We've done lots of that. We haven't tried to do it in a way that's telling you that you should love people more because um, we try not to to tell you what you should be doing. We try to help you see what God has done for you and then how we can live out a response to that. But Andrew Farley says, what if we started by asking God to show us how much he loves us? What if it was about receiving instead of achieving? Or if it was more about trusting instead of trying? Wouldn't that be a great place to start? And that's actually what the Apostle Paul prays for a group of people that he writes to. And I want to read these verses for you in Ephesians chapter 3. The Apostle Paul writes this, I pray from God's glorious unlimited resources that he would empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts and you, as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how high, how wide, how long, how deep this love is. And may you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. What if we prayed and said, God, help me understand your love more. Help me to... to grasp chesed or agape and as I grow in my understanding of how much you love us 
that maybe that would begin to change the way I see you and change the way that I interact with the people around me. God loves you. Enjoy it. Because to experience God's love is to experience God himself. The Advent reading in the devotional today talks about remaining in God's love and how sometimes that takes intentionality to step out of the chaos of our day and allow ourselves to bask in God's love for us in relationship. To experience his love is to experience God himself. So wherever you are at in your relationship with God, know this, God has an unfailing love, a steadfast love that he wants to share with you. Whatever you have done, or whatever you haven't done but should have done, your, whatever you've thought, whatever uh, your attitude has been, turning back is to turn back and to find a father running down the road to wrap his arms around you. And whenever you're ready to receive that, God's everlasting, unfailing love is there to be shared because he wants to give it to you. And he wants you and he wants me and he wants us to experience him in richness and in fullness. And to carry on from last week, that kind of understanding of who God is is something that fills me with hope. And I hope it does for you too. We'll see you next week as we talk about joy. God bless.